In the human factor, looking at human-centered design, uh, I think that is something that's hugely lacking and one of my main reasons why I'm in this in this world. Uh, technologically, it's very interesting. There's some fascinating projects and financially and all kinds of interesting other levels of thinking happening in the blockchain and crypto world. Almost universally forget that there needs to be an ordinary human being who will, who will decide to use it or not. And right now it's mostly or not um, because they're just not even making systems that are human compatible. <laughs> This episode is an extra for all of you who are not here for our latest meetup about user experience and user interface in decentralized apps. Nick Page visited us from Prague and gave us insights into the topic. If you would like to attend the next meetup, follow us on Facebook, Twitter or sign up for our newsletter, which informs you once per month about the latest updates. My co-host for this episode is Dave, our internal expert on design. Nick, you started doing UI testing and design when user interfaces were distributed on floppies and CDs. <laughs> In San Francisco, you've been part of the user experience, um, user interface evolution from those early days before a public internet. Um, fast forward to here and now. You are an official Google developer expert in product design and build up an agency for experience design and strategy. Mm -hmm. Along the way, you learned that interface UI is not experience UX and that in design, best practices often lead to failure. How come? Wow, I get the feeling that somebody's actually read some of the stuff I wrote. And <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's pleasant. Um, how come? That's a, you, that, that was a very dense question, so I'm not sure exactly where to begin. So I'll start right at the end. Uh, best practices and the sort of template world, I think are appropriate for some things. Um, they're shortcuts, they're useful for stuff that where you don't need to be creative, where it's perfectly okay to do the standard stuff and you don't need to worry about that everyone else is doing it and you're not pushing it forward. Uh, but for anybody who's in a creative position or in a creative role, uh, where I think a designer, anyone who calls himself a designer should be creative <laughs> uh, because you're designing something, you're not just copying what's already been designed. Uh, I think templatization and uh, best practices are the death of that. Uh, you can't be creative if all you do is make websites on WordPress templates, uh, right? So they all come out looking like WordPress. You you work within the, the confines. Sure, someone might say it's sort of like haiku or something, but uh, but I think it's actually to do anything new, you have to take risks. You have to do something that hasn't been done before, and that's impossible if you follow best practices. Uh, the other thing is best practices are what worked for somebody else in the past. It may not work for you today. You have to you have to be uh, flexible enough to 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 react to to real situations. And so I think a rampant kind of idea in the in that space is usually that um, you have you have best practices stemming also think from computer science mm -hmm. where it makes a lot of sense to work with patterns. And I think to a degree that's also true in design. Um, but when the developer becomes designer, I think that's an issue. Do you agree? Oh, I don't even know where to begin with that. Um, <laughs> again, best practices in computer development and coding and things like that. Let's say best practices is to do uh, test-driven uh, uh, coding. Sure, that's fine. That's, a, that's sort of a general structure 
Um, but someone had to come up with that, and the person who was coming up with that was not following anyone's best practice. He came up with a better practice than what they did before. So if you follow the even something that makes perfectly good sense or have uh, you know standardized um, variable naming practices or whatever, uh, yeah, that makes sense, but it also limits you in a certain sense, and it, and it limits thinking. It means that I'm working within structures. Um, I think the senior people should maybe free themselves from that, at least in experimental situations. Maybe when they're going to code banking systems or uh, you know hospital systems or air traffic control systems where you know everything is mission critical. Uh, okay, we are very very conservative with changing best practices, but you still need to experiment someplace and have a freedom where you can just fuck around and do what you need to do uh, and play with something new. And so, if we translate that to. <laughs> Um, the world that uh, is currently announcing itself very broadly, the blockchain mm -hmm. space, um, where where I think I design currently is at the most lacking component um, in all of it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot about technology, but it's not about users. It's not about humans. It's not about people using it. Right. It's a lot about tales, actually. Um, about tales. Tales of tales of, of a, a new technology arising. Okay, like fairy tales. Uh, fairy tales, yeah. correct. So if we look at that, and I think there's a lot of experimenting going on, um, but I, I find I find that the one thing that we should be doing is actually putting it in the hands of people is not really happening. Uh, I agree, uh, and I think that we're taking design from a very, or I've been using design in a very, very broad general sense that's applicable to almost any situation and you're, you're coming down to a specific sort of or beginning to narrow down to a specific sort of design uh, which is fine but I think it's 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 one of those words that you have to be careful how you use it so that we're still using the same concepts behind the word uh, but the other thing is just it's interesting now that we're flipping from best practices to blockchain uh, the whole blockchain world and especially cryptocurrency is a big fuck you to the world's best practices in almost every secure system. So we wouldn't even be here talking if, if, if you know, wow. if, if we were strong believers in best practices. <laughs> um, so, but you're right in the human factor, looking at human centered design, uh, I think that is something that's hugely lacking. And one of my main reasons why I'm in this in this world. Uh, technologically, it's very interesting. There's some fascinating projects and financially and all kinds of interesting other levels of thinking happening in the blockchain and crypto world. Almost universally forget that there needs to be an ordinary human being who will, who will decide to use it or not. And right now it's mostly or not um, because they're just not making systems that are human compatible. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I agree with that. One thing that reminded me of back of the best practices uh, I think some of the stuff survives, like the 12 words and uh, and logging in with 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 private keys. Uh, I have I, I've been working with a project, uh, Aram.com, if I'm allowed to make that the uh, the thing, is kind of a clever technological thing. They they will make gas go away if it's ever adopted, uh, at least for the user. All kinds of stuff, but they're stuck on 12 words because it's a best practice. It's what everyone does. Sorry, with the 12 words, you mean the words that you have to back up, which would recover your private key and thus your funds should you ever lose it. Right. Sorry, sorry for interrupting. Go on. Um, I hate those 12 words. I know why they're there. They are an improvement over a 35-digit uh, string of stuff, but they suck. Nobody remembers them and they get in the way. And most people are not going to use the 12 words. It was, a, it was, it was an improvement, but it's not enough. Uh, we need to design that problem away. Uh, for, for the mass market. Um, this kind of stuff 
One is the 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 habit of everybody else does it, so I'm not going to bother with it. Let's let's keep doing it. It's just sort of laziness and and, and inertia um, of why these things persist. But yeah, some people are going away. Um, I forget which project it is uh, um, in the Aragon sphere of things, but I can't remember which one it is. They have a different way of validation. Uh, and a way of getting my key back if enough of my friends recognize me, uh, kind of a, a human social level, uh, which I love it. I love that experiment. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if it'll be technically secure enough, but I think that's the right kind of direction to play with things like that. So would you say that user experience in the first few months of something new is actually more important than the underlying technology? That's my point of view. I don't think that's universally has to be true. I think there's... I have a way of looking at business. I have a way of looking at products development um, uh, and a way of brand positioning and all of that. I think it's a functional, useful way of looking and doing things. I do not claim that I have the only way to success and I can't guarantee that my way will lead to success, but it is what I've learned to find valuable in what plus minus 30 years of, of being in the software business um, and seeing how different efforts companies, projects, things like that, where where they have succeeded, sometimes succeeded spectacularly like Apple, and where they often consistently fail. And it's usually on the, on the human factor. Uh, things like TiVo and Betamax are classic uh, examples where they have superior, uh, superior technology, but for whatever reason they failed to competitive, lesser, lesser competitive things that were somehow just accepted easier. Uh, and there's always different reasons, but but when we look at Apple, when we look at the dif difference between Apple and Dell, people are willing to sleep on the sidewalk for the latest Apple. It's media events when the latest Apple comes out. We don't even know what Dell makes other than in general terms, they make roughly the same stuff as Apple, but I don't know when Dell comes out with a new thing. I don't even know what the new thing is, much less would I ever consider sleeping on the sidewalk for a night to get one. I'm happy to get it on my desk when I go to work. They work, they're fine, they're functional. Uh, but there's no emotion between it, right? And that's that's the main difference is the experience between between the two companies. Can you perhaps expand on your approach to design? I look at what people need uh, or want. I look at the emotional aspect of it. That is what experience is to me. Experience is the basically the sum of emotions people feel while interacting with something. So when we're in the business world, it's while interacting with a brand. Right, um, so I look at the business space that a group of people wants to be in, what problem space they wanna be solving, and we figure out how, what kind of emotions their target group uh, will have, where we can hook our, our solutions, and then we design the product to meet those targets, right? So the first thing is, is find, identify the targets, people that we want to deal with. And that can be a very, very small target for a, for a startup. It does not have to be a commercially viably large target. Uh, it's more important to get an emotionally engaged one. When I find the target, then I build a product that will uh, design a product that will make them so incredibly happy they feel like it's been designed for them because actually it has been designed for them. Uh, and then they're going to be ecstatic when they use it. it. It perfectly meets their needs and surpasses perfect, if we can. It's the kind of thing that it makes people really thrilled that they picked this up. And for me, the canvas that I want to work with is the user. It's taking a person who's 
looking at something, looking through a shop window, looking at a, at a logo in, a, in an app store, uh, the casual browser, they try it, we give them the motivation to try it. As they try it, they are more and more satisfied. They love the solution, they're happy to spend money, they're thrilled they spent the money once they did, the, the, the experience keeps building after the sale. And they look forward to the next time they get to spend money. They get to give you their money. They look forward to this and they're so thrilled with it. They tell all their friends to go give you their money to use your solution. This is what we want. And we can't do this with a general tar a generally uh, designed thing, something that's designed for everyone. That's an impossible target to hit. Everyone has different needs. There is no everyone. That's a myth, right? But I can find a very well-targeted group of people, behavioral targeting. I don't usually care about age, gender, things like that. I do care about why they make choices as a group in a similar way, right? Uh, so once we understand that target, we can we can design to their needs. We can make the marketing to their needs. We can make our which basically is the company promises what we're going to deliver. We deliver. We design the product to to meet those promises and surpass them hopefully, uh, and all the things around it. Customer support, um, the right logo. It makes them feel cool. Those people. It's not a, it's not one they're embarrassed to look at, right? And and that that sounds trivial, but I've actually done testing for a banking application where. Uh, we we were testing young people, and some of the some of the girls we tested wouldn't use ours because they didn't like the color and it didn't match the clothes they were wearing. But they would use it if we changed the color. So we thought of making skinnable uh, banking stuff if we want to go for the young market. Um, we never explored that really further, but that would be a viable way to go. If I wanted to start a bank that will specifically target young people, and it might even make sense to specifically target fifteen to eighteen year old girls because they, our theory is that they tend to go shopping a lot more often, uh, it might be something to show that my application fits today's clothes, right? That might be a perfectly viable thing. You laugh, I laughed when we had it, but it might be a really good way for a new bank to get into the market. 10 years later, they might be general purpose uh, young professionals because the, their target market has now grown up, but they have to start someplace. Uh, we came up with a metaphor last night at dinner uh, you don't need the, the 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 point of the spear is always small. When you when you're going in to attack something, always start with a very small, very well defined group. It'll you can expand. You move out from that spot. That's not where you sit forever. But but trying to attack too big a space, you will lose. You you will fail. It's almost guaranteed. Right now in the cryptocurrency blockchain space, we are kind of there. I mean, we have a very specified target group that geeks, nerds, and traders. Right. Um, what next? How can we get bigger? Well, and that's the that's the big point. It's the one I'm glad you asked that because it's what I am most interested in. The geek zone ha is emotionally engaged to the numbers involved in, uh, that, that's kind of how I define a geek, is someone who is emotionally engaged to, to numbers. Uh, I'm a photography geek, especially a camera geek. I like fast shutter speeds. That turns me on. That number uh, is something I go, ooh, it makes me go, you know, it's a stupid number. It's just a number. Uh, I almost never use it, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, but, but, uh, but it impresses me. Uh, so I'm not making fun of geeks. Uh, I am one, I j but it's just uh, that I think that they are specifically emotionally engaged to very technical things in general. Uh, and you can have legal geeks who are, t who are, you know, engaged with legal issues. It doesn't need to be a technical programmer, hardware kind of guy. 
Uh, in the crypto world, we have people who are fascinated by the crypto anarchy aspect of it. They're fascinated by the ability to produce their own money and these kind of things. But these are issues that are either neutral or maybe even very negative to the general population. Most people don't want to have the responsibility of having all of their wealth locked up in a single number that they might lose. Uh, they much rather go to a bank and say, fix this problem for me, right? We're used to that. We trust the banks. We've, um, I would guess, especially in Switzerland here, but even, even in countries where we don't have a special love <laughs> to banks like the Czech Republic where I'm from, uh, I used to work for the most hate, for one of the most hated retail brands that's a, that is a big bank there. But when it comes down to it, half the country does trust the most hated brand with their money. They just do. It's an, you know it's a bone level emotion thing, <laughs> right? Uh, and they're probably much more comfortable with that than trusting their own private key uh, and their their own their own handling of the of the key. The things that fascinate the geeks are not the things that are going to get the rest of the people for mass adoption into it. So what I'm looking for is projects that have very interesting, small, point of the spear size kinds of things to get into emotional hooks that normal people have. Uh, one example of that I think is CryptoKitties. Uh, when I first saw it, I thought, how stupid. These are little cartoons people are paying money for. Grown-ups are paying, picture, paying for pictures of silly looking cats. But as I started looking at this, it's the collectible impulse which is which is very strong. The people have been collecting stamps and coins and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, royal commemorative royal event spoons in England are are big among certain certain sets of people. People collect almost anything. And what CryptoKitties did was it proved that we can we can digitize that. That even digital collectibles are valid. They they hook into those emotions. Uh, so the kitties themselves, I see kind of as a prototype, as a proof of concept. I think in the next year or two, we will probably be seeing products that will be based on that, that will be doing all kinds of stuff. Um, they may be the collectibles within games, people's weapons and, and magic magic powers uh, may be among those. Maybe people come up with something completely new. But that's one of the cool things I think about crypto is that that actually is a de facto currency with a superpower. It's not a dollar. Uh, it's a dollar that does something and has a special property. Uh, and you can buy a house with a crypto kitty if you want. I mean, there have been a couple of those things that are sold for $100,000. Um, and I have no doubt that there will be collectibles that will have that kind of value in the future that'll be digital collectibles. Uh, so that's one, I think. because it, Not because there's any technological magic behind it. They're, they're fairly simple technologically. It's because it hooks into the proper emotion. Uh, and that's one that I think might get out into the, into the real world, into beyond the geek zone. Other ones, I think... Uh, will be top targets. I have a suspicion, I haven't been able to do the research to verify this, but I have a suspicion that actually women uh, and specifically young mothers, uh, first-time mothers, will be another place where we'll be able to find the right kinds of hooks to, to create crypto solutions that they will find valuable. They may or may not know their crypto solutions. Ideally, I would like them to because I would like to see what we can develop that they will choose to use, knowing it's crypto. But maybe they'll choose it for features that are uniquely crypto and they don't actually know that this has anything to do with Bitcoin. Maybe we'll package it that way. Uh, but the unique feature will be but, but will be something that they'll be choosing. And I don't know what that is at this point. I haven't, I haven't thought that through. But I think that that's an emotionally ripe 
place to look to build a product that will be of value. I'm not talking about just marketing crap. I'm, uh, that find something that will actually be of value to these people uh, because it is a highly emotional point of, of life. And it's, a, it's, it's fairly easy to define and understand the needs of a set of women who are going through that phase of life right now. Uh, so they're a very, very well-defined target and you can narrow that target way, way down. You don't need first-time mothers across the board. You can find a very tiny specific margin, uh, you know, a subgroup of even them to target. Yeah. What I find interesting um, is, and thanks for, for mentioning CryptoKitties, I mean, of course, crypto is in the word, mm -hmm. in the brand, but otherwise on the front page, you really have to search for like Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and mm -hmm. blockchain. It's, it's there, but it's actually not there. So uh, yeah. this approach worked probably better than, than setting it out loud. We are the blockchain company doing um, this and that. Sure. Blockchain is a new technology just like all new te technologies, excuse, excuse me. Uh, if you look back in about 1900, you found electro refrigerator and electro vacuum and electro this and electro that because it was the new technology. Today, we don't bother telling people that we have electro computers and electro microphones because it's obvious. <laughs> uh, so cr blockchain, crypto, all of that is right now in that same phase. It's a cool word for people who respond positively to that, but it's gonna disappear. As it gets into the mass market, we're not going to be mentioning that. I mean, ultimately, blockchain is a database. Do we say database-driven, you know, stuff for 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 people? No, who cares? They they probably don't even know what it is. You know, uh, so yeah. And but with CryptoKitties, you as soon as you get past the front page, uh, you obviously are in the Ethereum world, and you have to understand it, or else you have no chance. But that's okay because it's a prototype, as at least as I see it. Uh, it's a prototype that made a few people a lot of money, but but still, that's that that's fine. Uh, designing something that will, uh, among the things we need to design away, we need to make sure that people don't have to worry about if we have Ethereum. I was at a, at a workshop about two weeks ago where somebody was handing out new tokens uh, and you could have five new tokens of I forget what it was. Uh, they had a little plastic chip with a QR code on it, kind of cool, you know, geeky sort of marketing and that's cool. Uh, to get these tokens, you had to download a wallet that they, they, that was fine. It's one of the regular standard wallets, but you needed theirs. Uh, and then we hit a problem. To actually get the token, get the value off the, off the plastic chip into your wallet, you needed your own Ethereum to pay for gas. Um, so either their people started you know, playing with their phones and transferring Ethereum into their new wallet and blah, blah, blah. Or most of the people, they just threw away their plastic token and it was just a piece of plastic crap that was thrown away for, for whales to die eating now, right? <laughs> and that was it. It was a pointless, you know, and that kind of stuff has to go away. I um, mean, we see signs of that going away right now. Sure, right? it's, I mean, it's getting like there. This new token standard that might allow for to pay gas fees with your token itself. Right, um, right. Uh, we can invent things. I think one of the really exciting things about crypto is that we can completely redefine what money and what value itself is. Uh, we don't have to keep doing the same thing that people have been doing for roughly a couple of thousand years since you know the Romans started using coins to represent cattle. Uh, we haven't really changed that. So we have coins that represent gold and now we have coins that don't represent anything. But it's basically just roughly a transfer of calories and human labor is what this is based on, roughly. Uh, we can redefine that now. 
uh, and for the first time. We can actually make money with literal superpowers, money that does stuff, money that has uh, that I can control after spending it if I want. I can. There, there's no limit to what we can do. Uh, so that is where it's really exciting, uh, and where I think. As long as crypto tries to mimic fiat, I think it's probably going to fail. Once we actually come up with it, because we have fiat, it works fine. I can reach in my pocket and spend it. I don't need anything new. Uh, and for most people, the, the benefits of crypto are actually scary. The anarchy, the responsibility, uh, getting around banks. I don't actually, it, it, it's hard for me to imagine wanting to do that. Uh, I realize that a central bank might rob me but the fact of the matter is in 50 years of my life 40 years of banking no bank has ever stolen from me uh, it hasn't happened i don't know anybody in all my sphere of friends from whom a bank has stolen from them other people have stolen from the bank yes but that's uh, other people have stolen bitcoins too oh, at least in an explicit way right in a drastic way i mean there's there's we have we've had a bank bailout as well here in switzerland and mm. and you could say you know, if, if taxpayers' money has to pay for the faults of a few people, then that is, in a way, stealing as well. Well, that gets into a very philosophical thing, but taxpayers' money always goes to pay for the faults of a few people. That's the whole reason for for, 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 for collecting taxes, so we can centralize a lot of little money to centralize it so we can do something uh, with it. And usually that's fixing somebody's mistake. Um, that... Uh, or maybe not usually, but at least often. But, you know, we've bailed out auto industries. We've bailed out all kinds of company industries, not just uh, financial. And we've also bailed out the economic system when all industries fail in depressions. And we need to pay people to survive when there aren't jobs. So, I mean, that's basically one of the fundamental reasons to collect taxes, I think. Um, but at any rate, I mean, you could have that discussion on if that's a good thing or not if we were all in a crypto world and theoretically that couldn't happen what would happen we'd all be fucked we'd out have out of jobs would we actually want that think, to happen i think that's what, <laughs> i think know? that's a, one of the ideas that i to this day still find fascinating um a lot of the a lot of the ideas right now in the crypto space you mentioned it with aragon revolves around governance how mm -hmm. can you organize right and I think there is a question in how do you design for a decentralized product, for a network, basically? That, I think, is a really interesting space. Uh, and I think the way people have tended to organize themselves doesn't have to be the way it's it needs to be in the future. But you do tend to see various structures repeat themselves, even across cultures, across educational levels. Uh, there tends to be a leadership system, a leader, often a human being. Uh, and we even see this among chimpanzees and other primates. So the, so there, there's a suggestion, at least, that there may be biological components or objective logic that leads us to this solution time and time again. Um, that doesn't mean, like I say, that we need to stick to it, but there may be actually a good reason that we organize ourselves around leadership structures uh, and hierarchical structures. Um, evolution tends to find, uh, especially when it's repeated evolution, it, it tends to suggest that that's actually a pretty efficient solution to a problem. Um, so one thing I would do, first of all, is just 
see, find, find, try to try to isolate what the actual strength of that is. Uh, maybe it's not obvious. Maybe it is the obvious thing, uh, but maybe it's not. Maybe there's something more subtle going on. Um, and with the, with the blockchain, with DApps, and you know the, the the governance issues, maybe we can find it. I think a lot of the governance projects are intellectually really interesting, but they're so hugely new. They're introducing so many really big new concepts that they're just weak. They're, it's, uh, it takes a PhD to just understand what the hell I'm doing. Uh, and if I don't know how I can use my voice to, to add to a distributed model of some kind, then I can't do it effectively. Voting may be flawed. Uh, voting may be flawed in uh, different countries very deeply, but at least I know what my vote is theoretically supposed to do, and I know what I might decide not to participate in because I don't have faith in it. Um, but some of the some of the voting models get uh, or governance models get so incredibly complex that that's that's just troublesome. Other ones are based on how much value I have in the system. So it's basically just the rich people decide once again. Uh, what, whatever they say, I see this repeated, even though they claim it's not. But I don't see how, if I have to, if I if I get a decision, dis, my, my decision weight based on how many tokens I've staked, it just means I'm rich, or it means I got in early enough so that my value is appreciated. So, uh, so I'm a big risk taker, or maybe I'm one of the people who formed this. So basically, I'm like the the founder of a new nation, so I become king. All right, so that's kind of the same structure repeating itself again. Um, and again, that may not be bad. Uh, I'm not saying that's bad, but uh, but um, but I would tend to try to take baby steps on that area because it really is much more difficult. And if we want people to engage in a mass way, regular people who don't actually want to spend all their time thinking about the theories of governance need to be able to participate in it. Otherwise, it's going to be uh, kind of like Plato's Republic. It's just going to be the intellectually strong who understand it who will rule the rest, which is just you know, and, and that's not really distributed either. So. So it's, that's a really interesting space to think about and to work in. I don't think it's as easy as a lot of people think it will be, and I don't think human societies are really longing for seriously complex governance models. That's, <laughs> um, that, that's that. Maybe I'm wrong about that. That's just my view on that. Well, I, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> Is there one piece of knowledge or advice you'd like to share with our listeners? One piece of knowledge or advice, I guess it would be the <clears throat> design for humans. If you want people to use it, uh, if you're looking, if you're making a product that you want for uh, mass market, or even if you're doing B2B stuff, it's always people who decide to use your solution or not. Um, just because you have a technologically new and interesting project does not mean it's going to, f uh, to succeed. Uh, and in that case, if it's something genuinely new, the biggest competitor you have is the person doing nothing, which is what they've done all their lives to this date, perfectly happily. They don't need to change. To, uh, so you need to provide a person a very good reason, a positive motivator to want to do what you're offering. If you have competitors, then you have to be give them a reason to think of why I'm going to choose you and not one of the competition, a positive reason. When I say a reason to do it, it means, wow, I'm going to choose that because I, what is that? What's the next statement? That's what you have to design. The technology will probably not be sufficient. If you're getting into 
a new business space, if you're creating a new solution area, then it's the same thing. Everybody who you want to use your solution has been happily doing nothing to date, and they haven't missed it. Uh, so you're bringing something, you're asking them to take a risk, invest their time, invest their energy. If it's a B2B solution, they're probably investing, uh, they're taking the risk of looking like fools in front of their bosses and investors. You're asking them to do a lot, even if you're not asking for money. You're asking them to take big risks, invest a lot. You need to give a positive reason for them to do it. And the technology is probably not sufficient. Uh, the if it is sufficient, you actually have to give the people reasons to tell their managers why the manager needs to pay for it or give the time for it or whatever. And that there the technology probably won't work. The, the manager is probably thinking on a different level. So you all, I think it's important you need to design your solution, your product, for the people's emotional needs to decide. Make them want to decide for you. Uh, and there's lots of ways to go at that. I could spend hours talking about that, but that's something that I think th that's very lacking in the crypto space. Most people here tend to think that this is such a cool new technology, everybody's gonna love it because of the cool new technology. And in my years in this business, that's I think the single biggest reason why technology companies fail, uh, because the technology almost, I, I can't even actually think of a single case where the technology itself has carried the day. Uh, but I'll say that I don't, that, that almost never uh, succeeds based on technology. Uh, there, there needs to be an emotional reason. Like Apple succeeds because they make attractive, interesting things, and they make people feel good for using Apple. That's how they can. That's how they peddled their technology to get them into the hands, and how they still do it. People feel good for using iPhones, so they're willing to spend a thousand dollars or more for one of these things when they can buy a chinese phone that does the same thing for 50 bucks or maybe a hundred <laughs> right so that's that's i guess that's it thanks a lot for listening we hope you enjoyed the episode if you want to help others find us leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform if there is a guest that you would love to have in our show tweet us or write us a mail info at decentrum.ch